even thought so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a timely reminder that it is not just sin that can slow us down, but so often there are many other things that can get in the way. And we can get busy with many of the good things in life and forget about the important things in life. And so, Lord, I, I would pray that as we tune our ears into what you might have to say to us tonight through your word, Lord, I pray that we will not ask these low questions like, well, is it a sin? But, Lord, our, our thought will be all-consuming tonight that it might be, how can I do more? How can I be more effective? How can I be more passionate? How can I be more pleasing to a God who has given me everything that I want to please? I want to praise. I want to rejoice in. And so, Lord, I pray that it would be a, um, a check for us tonight. But, Lord, I pray that it would be a joyful one where, yes, the Christian life is gain. You have promised not just that we might have life, but full, abundant life. And so, Lord, we pray that as we pursue you, as we pursue the, to, to live out more fully Scripture as you have given to us, Lord, we might have the, a mind like Christ. Lord, that our lives might be Christ-like. And Lord, we pray that you would be pleased with what we do with this life that you have given to us. And so, Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> okay, folks, there, there's going to be uh, quite a few verses uh, tonight. Um, if you can look, up, look them up in, in your Bibles, that would be great. Um, but it may be a lot of trying to keep up. It will all be on the screen, so please don't worry about that. But it is always good that you can actually see in Scripture what, where I'm reading from and, and that it is in the Bible, that I'm just not making some of these things up. Uh, and it's good for you to, to be able to mark that in, in your own Bible as well. Now, as you know, I grew up in Balamina, uh, and the town has a bit of a reputation. I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, some of the stereotypes about the farmers and their ability to... Um, I don't think of a diplomatic way. They, they, they look after their money well. They look after their money well. Every penny is a prisoner. And it's true. It's all completely true. Every rumor that you've heard, every suspicion that you've heard, they are all 100% accurate. I remember being four or five years old. I, I was um, in P1. And we were moving house and we were going from Belfast uh, and moving up to uh, Balamina and trying to retrain my ear to a unique accent. Hey, it, it was some going. But the farmers fascinated me. I am not a farmer. I, I have very little experience um, with farm equipment and stuff and all. Um, some of my friends have had it and we sort of messed around a wee bit. But farmers fascinated me. Um, there we go. 
Uh, and while many of the stories are exaggerated one way or the other with just how tight they are or how grumpy they can be or all the different things in between, there are three things that are of a genuine reality that come out of the stories. And when you watch farmers, not just in Balamina, but everywhere, is that it is hard work, it's long hours, but they're happy people. Okay, yes, there's always a few boys that are the exception to the rule, but generally, whenever you meet farmers, you'll meet people who work hard, work long hours, but are happy people. And I think there are are secrets uh, that these men know, and they'll be able to help us in our calling as believers to go into the world as people of Christ, to be fruitful and to win people for Christ. Now this morning, we, if you remember, we looked at what a Christian should look like as a soul winner. And tonight then I want to look at what a Christian ought to do to be a soul winner. And one of those great metaphors that Christ used was in Luke 10. And he says this, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Okay, so um, imagine the scene. Jesus has a group of people who are literally following him around. That's why they're called his followers. That's what they did all day. They followed him wherever he went. That's where they went. And he has this group of students or, or disciples around him, not just the 12 that we are familiar with, but there was a larger crowd that went with him all these people who followed him, who loved him. And they get to a point where Jesus turns and says, okay, guys, it's good having you with me. I've taught you lots, not everything, but I've taught you lots. It's now time to go about some work. Let's reach out uh, with this message. We can't just sit around and chat in this holy huddle and hope that people notice us, that somehow the message filters out and they can work it out for themselves. We have to go to them. And so he uses this farming language and says, okay, guys, the harvest is ready. Now let's get to work. And so they're sent out by Jesus two by two uh, to prepare the way for Jesus. So they were heading out to prepare listeners because, and tell them, look, Jesus is coming. You've got to get ready. Jesus is coming. You've got to get ready. And that's what was happening. And that's the call of every Christian, to prepare the way. And Jesus is sending them, but he says something else. It's not... It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be a popular thing. It's going to be difficult because there's a lot of people who need to hear about Jesus and there isn't an awful lot of people telling people about Jesus. And so the ratios are a wee bit skewed and it's a wee bit hard. But notice though that people who follow Jesus are called to action, to not just sit on the sidelines. Being a Christian isn't a spectator sport. Okay, so see the order of this first there you, are, you follow Christ, and then you're commanded to go before Christ. And then as you go, you are to pray that others join in that work that you are doing. And this powerful picture, God wants people involved. He doesn't want people sitting back and allowing other people to do it. You are not allowed to pray that people join the harvest if you're not prepared to go into the harvest yourself. This is not a spectator sport. You don't pray that God will do something that you're not prepared to do for him. And so how can we learn then from these farmers and their harvest? 
that's going to help us to go out and be soul winners? Well, there's a couple of principles. And the first one is the plan of the harvest. You reap what you sow. That phrase get, we get from Galatians 6. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So let, let me give you uh, what that might look like in real life. Imagine working in an office, okay? And there's that one guy who is an absolute pain. Um, he doesn't help anyone, but he's more than happy to take the credit that belongs to you. He is dismissive. Uh, he is annoying. He talks down to people. He's dismissive of other people. And he's a suck up to the higher ups. He's a real piece of work. These are all thinking about someone. I know you've all worked with someone like that, all right? And then it's going, yeah, I know. Imagine that something goes wrong, all right, with, with something that he's working on. And suddenly he needs people to rally around and help him uh, to drop everything for him because he could very well lose his job as a result of this. What do you think the response of the co-workers in the office is going to be? He's getting what he deserves. Hey, you reap what you sow, mate. Now imagine a different scenario. Um, well, the same scenario, but slightly differently. The guy at the center of it all is actually a really nice guy. He is someone who is continually dropping everything to help out others. He'll cover your shifts. He, he helps and never takes any credit, even whenever it really should be his to begin with. But he's always building other people up. He's always thoughtful and considerate and interested in others. He'll ask how they're going. He cares about how other people are getting on. And then suddenly he gets landed with an impossible task. And his job is on the line if he doesn't come through. Let me ask you now, how do you think co-workers are going to respond to his need? You're more inclined to help him, aren't you? You're more inclined to get along beside because, well, we reap what we sow. We sow seeds of kindness, we will receive kindness. We sow seeds of bitterness and pride. Well, what are we going to get in return? We reap what we sow. Imagine I plant some potatoes. And then I go back to a field and I start digging up carrots. What's happened? I've gone in the wrong field. That's the only explanation. It's the only explanation because if I'm, not, if I'm digging up uh, carrots when I, whenever I plant potatoes, I'm in the wrong field. You only are going to get potatoes from planting potatoes. You're only going to get carrots when you plant carrots. If we don't sow Christ... If we never bring him into our conversations, if he is never reflected in our behavior, or if he is never seen by our actions or revealed by our words, please don't ever think you will reap something of Christ in your life. If you never sue him, you'll never reap him. We reap what we sow, but we also reap proportionately to what we sow. Second Corinthians 9 says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly... Uh, so it's now, now, now it's not just about what we're sowing, but how much are we going to put into the ground here? What, what percentages are we talking here? Because if we sow sparingly, well, we're only going to reap sparingly. If we're half-hearted in our attempts, it's a half-hearted harvest. But whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Let me tell you how this can maybe look like in our lives in the Sahel, which is this kind of maybe is this kind of 
darker band here, just below the Sahara, uh, that separates that desert land from the rest of Africa. Um, it's a very strange part of the world. Uh, all the moisture, all the rain falls in a four-month period, May, June, July, and August. After that, not a drop of rain will fall for the next eight months of the calendar year, which is just crazy. Um, living in Northern Ireland, you might think, well, that might be all right, but um, it has an impact. The ground will crack from dryness, so do your hands and feet. The winds of the Sahara uh, kick up the dust uh, just right up into the top echelons of the air, thousands of feet, and then it just comes drifting down and it just covers everything with this uh, sort of grit. It gets inside your mouth, it gets in all your possessions, it gets inside your watch, it breaks your watch. And the year's harvest, of course, then is grown in those four months of rain. People grow uh, sorghum uh, and in October and November. These are beautiful months whenever the um, granaries are just bursting full. The harvest has come. People sing and dance. They eat two meals a day. And the sorghum, it's ground between stones to make uh, flour and it's added to water and cooked and it becomes like a like like old porridge, you know, if you leave porridge in for a bit, that's the kind of texture of it, and it just fills you up. And um, they, they drop it into a bit of sauce, they roll up into balls, and they pop it into their mouth. Their meal lies heavy in their stomach. They sleep well in these months. December comes then, Christmas time, and the granaries start to recede. Most families cut down the morning meal or cut it out completely. Certainly by January, maybe... 2% of the families um, are still eating two meals a day. So you're down to the evening meal. By February, even, even the evening meal is starting to get smaller. The meal shrinks even more during March and children start to get sick. You don't stay well on half a meal a day. April is the month though that will haunt your memory if you're in that part of the world. In it, you hear the babies crying in the evening because they are sore and they're hungry. Most of the days are past. Maybe you get a small cup of gruel of some sort. And then inevitably, every year in every tribe, it happens. There's a six-year-old or a seven-year-old comes running in to his father with real excitement. Daddy, Daddy, we, we've got grain. I, I was in the barn and there was a satchel and I put my hand in and, and it's full of grain. We found some grain. We, we can eat tonight and our, stomach, our tummies can be full and we can sleep tonight. And the father stands motionless. Son, we, we can't do that. That's next year's secret. It's the only thing between us and starvation. We're waiting for the rains and then we must use it. When the rains then arrive in May. And when they, 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 the rains come, that young boy watches his father take the sack from the barn and does the most unreasonable and unimaginable thing you can do. Instead of feeding your desperately hungry and weak family, he goes into the field and with tears streaming down his face, he takes that precious seed and he starts throwing it away. Just throwing it into the ground. And he scatters it into the dirt. Why? Because he believes in the harvest. 
The seed is his. He owns it. He can do anything with it that he wants. But, and the act of sowing it hurts so much that he cries. But the African pastors will often talk about this whenever they preach in Psalm 126. And they'll say, brothers and sisters, this is God's law of the harvest. Don't expect to rejoice later on unless you've been willing to sow in tears. Let's cut out the sin and all these other things that so easily weigh us down and beset us that we can run, that we can be effective for God. So let me ask you the question. How much would it cost you to sow in tears? I don't mean just giving to God from your abundance or doing what is comfortable and when it's convenient. But finding a way to say, God, I believe in the harvest and therefore I will give what makes no sense. I will do what seems unreasonable to those around me who don't understand. The world will call me foolish. The world will call me unreasonable. But I must sow this seed in order that I might someday celebrate with songs of joy. Folks, we reap what we sow. We cannot reap unless we sow. But there's a second principle. The plan, we reap what we sow. That's the plan of the harvest. But we reap after we sow. That's the order of the harvest. Ecclesiastes says, uh, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. Paul in Galatians 6, verse 9 at the bottom there says, And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And remember, we've already looked at those verses uh, just beforehand, verses 7 and 8 as well. And so that passage is just tying these two principles together. Here's the thing. You will rarely have one conversation with someone who starts off by being uninterested in the things of God. And by the time you've had that conversation, by the time you've drank your cup of coffee, that person is wanting to become a Christian. And maybe it has happened to you, but it is uncommon Usually what will happen is that someone or something has already been speaking to that person, has been working in their heart, and it's had to germinate for a while. That seed has had to do something under the soil. Because you often need time to weigh things up and to think about it. In Christian language, we often talk about counting the cost. What, what does this mean for me? Do I really want to give up the pleasures of this world to pursue Christ? Do I really feel that he can forgive me? And it takes time for people to work on that. See, no farmer will plant his seed in the morning and then goes out in the afternoon hoping to reap what he has sown. Or he doesn't even go out later that week. You have to wait for a whole new season. But that doesn't mean nothing has been happening in that time in between. Things have been happening under the soil. Out of sight, the harvest will come at the right time. And so let's be honest, though. We get frustrated in this. Oh, boy. I mean, I'll not ask for a show of hands, but how many times have, have we spent years praying for someone that they might get saved and we're still waiting? 
or decades for a spouse or a child or someone who in our family to come to Christ. And we're still waiting. And it's hard. And we're saying, I've been planting the seed and I've been sowing the seed and sowing the seed. When is it going to be time for the harvest? When am I going to reap this? And as believers, we get so frustrated sometimes because we don't get to see the results. Because we can't see what's happening under the soil. But humans are complicated. Salvation doesn't come about quickly in that sense. In the same way that forgiveness takes time. In the same way that marital problems take a while to iron out and trust to be rebuilt. In the same way that hurt can take a lifetime of effort and energy to try and heal and forget and move on from. As you get older, it's more than just about saying sorry, isn't it? You know, remember a kid, you say, say you're sorry. Sorry. Right, okay, use your friends again, man, go on. When you get older, you suddenly realize, well, it doesn't always work like that. Hurts run deep, it impacts the relationship. Resolutions rarely come about after one conversation. But we live in the microwave generation now. Even the mobile phone companies, they're all getting us excited about 5G technology. And it's like, huh, you want to wait four seconds for a web page to load up? <laughs> you loser. You have, and it has to be instant. It has to be, everything has to be successful. Everything has to be immediate. And right now, you know, my, my daughters, they freak out at the whole thought of having to, you know, watch adverts when watching live TV. Can we not just skip them? No. Huh? Say, uh. And we want what we want when we want it, and that's usually right now or preferably yesterday. And we get so accustomed to immediate gratification, instant gratification, we sometimes become unwilling to wait for the results of biblical reaping. Or biblical sowing. We, 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 sowing what is good and waiting for God to work and to do his work and wait for his timing. And so often we can take matters into our own hands. Sometimes you run ahead of the Lord. Sometimes we, we twist people's arms when they're not ready. Sometimes we, we, we will take, a, take someone who isn't quite prepared to make Christ their Lord. They're maybe looking for forgiveness, yes, but they're not prepared to crown Jesus as their Lord and King of their lives. They're not prepared to surrender everything over to him. But we'll take it and we'll get them to pray a prayer, sign a card, or sign up to something. We'll give them a Bible and say, it's okay, you're a Christian now. But actually, they haven't made Christ king. And they're actually quite reluctant to do that. But we, we, we get impatient and so we rush things and we cheapen things down and dilute things. And we'll employ our own strategies and methods. It's what happened in Jeremiah 2. Remember whenever God says, what happened here? What happened? I thought we were trusted each other. I thought, but you're building your own cisterns. You're, you're trying to build your own reservoirs. You're trying to fill it up yourselves because you're impatient. You don't want me to do it. You're, you don't want to wait for me. But these cisterns that you're building, they're broken. They don't hold water. But we don't want to wait on the Lord. We want to reap without sowing. But the psalmist in his determination to wait patiently said this, I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. 
folks, sow the seed. The seed is good seed. The gospel is true. The gospel is powerful. The word of God is powerful. Trust it and be patient. Let the Lord do his work. That's why Paul was able to write in 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Just because you don't see the results doesn't mean God isn't doing something with it. And so be patient. Because we reap after we sow. David wrote in Psalm 27, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait on the Lord. So we've got the plan of the harvest. We reap what we sow. We have the order of the harvest. We reap after we sow. Number three, the motive of the harvest. We reap more than we sow. Why do farmers plant the seed? Because they're going to get a lot more back. A single seed that sprouts uh, can yield dozens, scores, hundreds of seeds. If you sow the seed and you only were getting one back again, you wouldn't bother. There's no point in it. But if one seed of wheat can produce a stalk with hundreds of seeds, if a single acorn can produce a tree that's going to produce many, many acorns year after year after year, yes, we reap what we sow. But it often comes back bigger than what we gave. Husbands, I'm going to give you this example, okay? Um, Not because it would happen in our house, but imagine you're watching the television and in the background you're vaguely conscious that your wife has been speaking to you. And then she leaves the room and you think, mustn't have been important. Or you kind of just go, "Uh uh-huh, yep, okay. What's that feeling like? Because I wouldn't know. But... uh, What's that feeling like when she comes back in about half an hour later and says, so did you do that thing for me? Uh, now, did you make that phone call? Did, did you get that present I, I, before? Uh, who's present? <laughs> Not even that I get the present. I don't even know who, who I'm supposed to be getting the present for. Not that that would ever happen in my house, of course. You come in under what Hosea says. The words are on the screen. You sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. Because you may have think you only missed one wee bit of a conversation, but boy, you're going to pay for it because you, it, there's consequences to what has happened. You think, well, it's only a little thing, but boy, it can blow up fast. See, sometimes people feel that this law of multiplication though, is unfair. They make a few bad decisions and then life falls apart and they say, well, you know, I know I haven't always made the best decisions, but, but I didn't deserve this to happen. You ever hear someone say that? They make a few bad decisions. They maybe knowingly make a few bad decisions. They deliberately make a few bad decisions. And they say, but I didn't deserve this to happen. Well, maybe you didn't expect it to happen, but what you're experiencing isn't punishment or the wrath of God or It's simply the harvest because we reap more than we sow. Seeds don't stay seeds. 
They turn into trees. They turn into stalks. They blossom into uh, bushes or plants, whatever happens to be. And what we reap always comes back more than what we sowed in the first place. How many people who wrestle with addictions do so because they started off at a simple, harmless drug? And it was a gateway to a whole load of other things. How many alcoholics? So, well, they started off drinking socially. Took over. How many people in hundreds and thousands of pounds of debt because of gambling addictions started off because it was just something sociable that they did with their friends? Uh, whatever it happens to be, whatever the, the process started from, it, it, it came from a small thing. But boy, it came back as the whirlwind. Someone once wrote, we sow a thought, but we reap an act. We sow an act, but we reap a habit. We sow a habit, and we reap a character. We sow a character, and we reap a destiny. And I know some of the youth in the church, that kind of student, older teen, early 20 bracket, they get tired of me saying things to them that maybe just feel like I'm spoiling their fun and I kind of just have to own that. Um, I'll maybe just kind of say something and I go, uh, just be careful. Just be careful with that. Are they doing anything wrong? No. But I'm that wee bit older. I, I've, um, in this job, you tend to see the kind of the worst end case scenarios of things. And I'm always conscious of the fact of, yeah, okay, that, that's just maybe a wee harmless seed you're sowing. But what's that seed going to turn into? Is it going to take you to a path that's going to lead to temptation? Is it going to take you down a path that's going to take you to sin that could easily be avoided? And so as Christians... If we want to be wise in how we sow seed, if we want to be blessed in bringing in a great harvest for the glory of God, what we sow, how much we sow, will come back to become defining features in our lives because we reap more than we sow. Which is why this morning I spoke about being wise and being warm, being careful with our words. Um, I'm going to read a passage from Romans here, but uh, do you remember the song? Uh, in my head, it's the Cathedral Quartet here, here singing it, but I don't know if they wrote it or if it was someone else from... But they said, sin will take you further than you want to go. Slowly but surely taking control. And this idea just of, it started off harmless, but has this way of taking over. We need to be so careful. Anyway, Romans chapter 2 says, do you despise the riches of his, of God's goodness, forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance? But in accordance with the hardness and impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the, judge, of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing in good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking, those who are selfish, those who want to do it themselves and do it their own way, 
To those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there's no partiality with God. He's saying, we're going to reap what we sow. But we reap more than what we sow because what we do here may only be a fleeting moment for us but the consequences are eternal and we need to be aware of that. Last one, very quickly. The plan of the harvest, the order of the harvest, the motive of the harvest. Last one, the hope of the harvest, okay? Uh, Brothers, I, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, the hope of the harvest is this. While it is maybe too late to change last year's harvest, there is still time to make a big impact on next year's harvest. And you can ensure that the next harvest is going to be a good one. Please do not walk away from church tonight thinking, well, I've sown a few bad seeds in the time. Jeff says, I'm doomed. Okay, because I've I made a few bad decisions. Well, it's definitely going to come back to haunt me. It's definitely going to blow up on my face. Well, that was depressing tonight. I was a nice sunny day. I could have stayed out in the sun. But no, I had to go to church, and now I'm sad. Here's the thing. If a farmer has a field that produces a bad crop, it's just one year. It doesn't define him as a farmer. He can try to rectify it for the following year. Maybe he needs to change the seed that he used. Maybe the seed was bad quality. And maybe as Christians, what we're doing isn't maybe really sharing the gospel in a good way. And so maybe the seed's bad. But maybe it's the soil. Maybe it's the field. And so he'll need to clear the field of debris, fertilize it, care for it, tend to it, Love it. And then when the time is right, you sow more seed again. Because last year's harvest does not determine what happens next year. What has happened to you yesterday does not dictate what happens today or tomorrow. And Paul in this text is saying, all this stuff that that has happened that isn't good even though other people attach value to it, and even though other people think that it's really good or really whatever it is, I'm leaving it all behind. I'm forgetting about it. I'm not focusing on it, but I'm chasing uh, um, to... (coughs) Excuse me. I'm moving forward. I'm letting go, and I'm pressing towards the goals that I want to achieve for the harvest that I want for God's glory. I'm letting go of the sin and the things that are laying me down, and I'm going to run. I'm going to let everything be geared towards me running the race well. I'm growing. I'm moving forward. How does that look like in reality? For those who are maybe struggling... For those who may be feeling we're a bit far away from God, how do we do that? If our life perhaps is in a stage of a bad harvest, what do we do to rectify that? Because that's important. There's no point just throwing up a couple of verses and saying, right, well, you know, that's how it ought to be. Let, let's everyone go, go home. 
how do we actually turn the harvest around? How do we do that? Well, number one, we confess. First John, if we confess our sins, if we confess the fact that we have not been the, the Christians that we ought to have been, if we confess the fact, if we own the fact that we're imperfect, if we come to God in our imperfections, God, I've got this sin. I've got these other things that are holding me down. I'm getting rid of them now, Lord. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what I was talking about? I was talking about a clean start, a fresh start, a new slate. That's what God offers. Sometimes the hardest people to forgive is ourselves. It's easier to forgive others than ourselves, but the truth is that whenever we stump, we shouldn't stumble over things um, that are behind us. We shouldn't be stumbling over these things. God forgives us all our sins, and that means all. And then he goes on to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. And so if God can forgive us, if God can give us a clean slate, if the one who should be most offended by unholiness, the one who should be most offended by our sin because it's against him we sin, if he can forgive us, surely we can get to a place where we can forgive ourselves and say, yes, I I did do those things, but it doesn't, yesterday doesn't impact today. Yesterday doesn't impact tomorrow. Number two, not only do we confess, but we learn from our mistakes. Was it bad seed that we were using? Have we diluted or compromised the gospel in some way? Or maybe our life has been littered with debris, and maybe it needs to be cleaned up for that seed to be more effective. So don't just confess your sin and then just go straight back into doing the exact same things again. But of course, that's always the fight, isn't it? You know, I mean, I I would imagine that for most of us here tonight, it's not that we've kind of, tempted by this wide array of sins but we've got these kind of two or three areas and it's always the same battles and we fight the battles on the same battlegrounds time after time after time after time and so we identify those and we learn from them and we grow Psalm 119 and just verses 59 67, 71 Just reading them together, it says, When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimony, Lord. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. God, I was in the wrong, but I am wiser now because of it. I can see where I went wrong now, and I'm not going to make the same mistakes again. We confess our sins. We learn from our mistakes. And here is the great hope. The, um, the harvest is still out there. <coughs> the harvest is still out there. Uh, the harvest is still waiting for those who follow Christ to go and to be busy and active in his work. And we go again. There's still people out there who need to hear the gospel. There's still people out there who need to hear from us. And so... We go again. Nobody has a perfect record. Nobody's going at 100% here, okay? But we keep pressing on. 
We keep striving to, to walk forward for the rewards. Imagine being able to lead that family member to the Lord. Because we didn't give up. We didn't give up on ourselves and our ability to share the gospel with them. And we didn't give up on the fact that God could use us to share the gospel with them. And we kept going. And finally, finally, we reaped what we were able to sow. It took longer than what we thought, but we were able to reap what we sowed. And it was worth it. We got far more back than we ever thought we were ever going to put in. And it's that spouse who we get to lead to the Lord or our, our children who we get to lead to the Lord or our best friend or that co-worker or whoever it happens to be. And we get to be able to go to heaven and say, Father, look what I was able to do for you. Oh, it was so amazing. Thank you, God, for letting me be a part of that. And we'll hear those words, well done. Good and faithful servant. Why? Because I am sure of this. I am sure of this. I believe in the harvest. And he who began a good work will see it through. Because it's not on us, it's on him. And so if you are feeling a bit beat up this week, you're feeling just a wee bit demotivated, and maybe how that sermon started off, you're kind of going, oh, just kick me while I'm down, why don't you? Let us not grow weary in doing good. Let's not give up. Well, I've sown a few bad seed. I'm disqualified. That's not how God works. That's not how God works. In due season, I don't know when that is, but in due season, we will reap if we don't give up. If we don't give up, if we keep going, if we keep pursuing it and keep being faithful. Remember this morning we are talking about being consistent. Let's not give up. Let's not give up on what God can do, even what he can do through us. As flawed as we all are, we are trophies of his grace. And we can rejoice in that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just before the musicians come up and we sing again, Lord, we thank you that the harvest gives us hope. that there is more to reap than we sow. But Lord, last year's harvest doesn't define us and it doesn't determine who we are for next year for this harvest coming. Lord, I pray for anyone here this evening who is ready to give up, who's maybe ready to stop trying to give it up as a bad job. Lord, I pray that you would just challenge them tonight, Lord, that you'd encourage them to keep going, to start fresh. Lord, that the harvest is coming. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd stir in our hearts, Lord, that you'd challenge us with the kind of seed that we sow, Lord, with how how much we put into that, but, Lord, that you'd also... um,
Just encourage us to keep going. Lord, sometimes we do get impatient. Sometimes we do get frustrated. Lord, help us to wait on you. Help us to wait on the Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. John, please.